main theme of his message was our response then, right? We saw these three people's response. Our response should be praise and worship and then sharing with the lost the hope of Jesus Christ. Pretty simple, really, right? So thank you, Christian, for that message. It was a great message. This week, we're going to continue. So if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. He purposely wanted me to teach on this to harass me. Luke chapter 2. Salvation revealed is what I've titled this. Let's look at verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. So today's passages begin with Mary and Joseph being obedient to the Jewish law. And even the customs of the day, truly. This act of circumcision was an outward sign of obedience to God. Right? It was in the law. This circumcision was the mark of the covenant that God had made with his people. So Jesus, he had to be circumcised, right? In order to be obedient to God and the word of God and the law. Oh, I want to help Christian there with the... I think it's on a, um, yeah. So also, as we look at these verses, I want you to notice something. The name, Jesus, right? We talked about several weeks ago, maybe three or four, about John the Baptist and how he was named. See, all this kind of ties together, right? We got John the Baptist. I told the whole story how they went outside of tradition, remember? They named him John. Everybody's like, why are you naming him John? Why wouldn't you give him the family name? Well, look at this. Again, it doesn't state it directly, but you know that this name, Jesus, was also a given name by the Lord. This wasn't a family name. This broke tradition again and went against the tradition. So Mary and Joseph, you know, I don't know what they would have named their father. I don't, I'd have to look that up. I don't know the details. But again, they went against the tradition and now named him Jesus, being obedient again. So Mary and Joseph, we see right in this first verse, they're obedient to God through following the law, through the naming of Jesus, and according to this instruction that the angel had given them. Now, there's so many questions today, I'm going to address this, about circumcision. Right? I mean, maybe some of you, I have, I have a children, and it's been came up, and there's even a movement today that says that you shouldn't do it anymore. There's some that would argue the other way. Interesting subject, Right? Let's turn over to Colossians as we discuss this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now, I'm not going to tell you if we should or should not continue this practice. I'm not going to tell you that. Um, but I want to know, I want everyone to know one thing for sure, that this is not a requirement, a physical requirement today that's required by Scripture. And it surely does not mean a person is saved or not saved. So I don't want to clarify that. So if you have questions about that, because it does come up, should we do this today? Should we not do this today? Is it biblical? Is it not? Um, it's definitely not a salvation issue by any means. Um, that's cl- very clear. It's a spiritual matter today as it's referenced. So if you do have questions, you ready? I think you should probably consult your Christian doctor. And you should talk to a Christian doctor and then 
do your own research and make that decision for your own family. Uh, I don't think we have any young parents here today, but at that time. There's lots of opinions on that and lots of um, different resources out there. Um, but again, it is definitely not a requirement today in the passages. But in Jesus' time, it was an absolute requirement that Jesus be circumcised to be obedient to the law. Whew. Let's move on. No more talking about that for now. Back in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of the child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. As we read this, you just read this, right? This verse uh, 21 to 22, it seems like it's like pop, pop, right? It's not. There's a, there's, a gap, there's a space of time in between there. It seemed that this purification offering happened immediately after the naming and the circumcision. But actually, some time has passed. And that's what's so interesting as you study the Bible. There's time. Now, I don't know exactly how this took place. It doesn't say. It doesn't say in any of the other Gospels. But we do know that they were obviously in Bethlehem, right, for the birth. So she was there. She had birth. We know eight days later, Jesus was circumcised. It doesn't say where. I assume, and it's a big assumption, that was, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's not even going to say, because I don't know how that took place. I looked it up as much as I could look it up, and how that took place, if the priest did it, or there's not a lot of information on that. It changes through the Old Testament, how that's performed and who does that. So I don't know exactly. Anything I would say would be kind of speculation, but we do know they were in Bethlehem for the birth, right? Eight day, days later, we know he was circumcised and named. So we know that was done, I believe, with the priest, but I'm not sure. So perhaps at this point, this is perhaps, I don't know, they stayed in the area to wait until they could present Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. Maybe. I don't think they went all the way back to Nazareth. That was a long, that's 80 miles. Uh, so after the birth, Mary would have to wait 40 days before entering the temple. I think some of you maybe are kind of familiar with this. Um, so you'll offer the sacrifice as required for the purification. You can read about it in Leviticus 12 if you want. You can write that note down. It tells all about it. But it's 40 days. So they were in Bethlehem. They had to go to Jerusalem to do this in the temple. This had to be done in the temple. So I, I don't know. I don't think they went all the way back and then all the way back again. I, I would doubt it. I assume maybe they found some better accommodations somewhere and waited for that 40 days to pass. Again, I don't know. But that would be really strange for a brand new mother to travel all the way back, then all the way back again. So it, it's interesting when you look at it that way. Everybody just reads these two verses, ding, ding, but you realize there's a lot that actually happened in between them two verses. So we look at this again. The offering is also interesting because if you look back to the Old Testament, the offering was supposed to be a lamb and a dove. That was what was actually required. Yet we read here in the scripture that a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons was offered. So why is that? This was allowed if the family could not afford the lamb. A lamb would have been quite expensive. I mean, even today, for I mean, a whole lamb, a sacrificial lamb, that would be quite expensive. So this tells us that Mary and Joseph were probably pretty poor. But they were not impoverished. I think there's a difference. And we see it there because there was another option in the Old Testament. 
that if the family could not even afford two doves, they could actually give an offering of flour. But they didn't do that. They actually gave the offering of doves. So they weren't impoverished, but they were definitely probably poor. So there's like three options there, right? It's pretty, I, I find it interesting. And when I study this, I really see a correlation to today and tithing. Because I think that as we see even in the Old Testament where you're required to offer sacrifices, right? That it wasn't about what was offered. I mean, if you could afford a lamb, you gave a lamb. If you could afford the two doves, you gave the two doves. If you couldn't even afford that, you could give a little thing of flour. It wasn't about the offering. It was about obedience. It was about worship to God, even in the Old Testament, which still applies today with tithing. It's, a, it's not about what you gave. It's about your heart of worship. It's about being obedient to give. So I, I love that because I see that in the Old Testament there, and it just stuck out to me um, when I read that. So we continue and look in the verses. We see that Jesus now was dedicated to the Lord. So there's actually two different things going on here. Again, we kind of read it, and we just kind of assume it's all kind of one thing, but it really wasn't. So Jesus was there. He had to go to the temple. They had to present him before God. It was required that Jesus be brought and dedicated per Exodus 13, if you ever want to write that in your notes. The firstborn, maybe some of you are familiar, the first male in the family. You had to go to the temple. You had to dedicate. There's a whole ceremony that went with this. So there's two different things. Mary, her purification, and then Jesus' dedication. There's actually two things taking place here. But Jesus' dedication could not be done until the 40 days because of Mary's purification. So it's very interesting. Now, note. Ready? This was not a baby baptism. Right? This was not a baby baptism. This was a dedication of a child of God to God. There's a very big difference. We at Calvary Chapel, and I think many other churches, we do something similar. We do baby dedications. We do not do infant baptisms. I don't believe in it. It's not biblical. We do baby dedications. And that's where the family comes before the church through the, by the fellowship. There's a whole, I mean, there's a lot more to it, but we, we come before the church, before God, and we dedicate the child to God. That's true. But also as a church, as a family, we come alongside the parents and we commit to raise that child in the ways of the Lord and to help the parents and the child. Much different than a baby baptism. This is not a method of salvation, but it is that we commit as a fellowship to come together as a family and help each other and lift each other up. And so there's a very big difference. So we are dedicated to the Lord. Um, There's a lot already, right, in these passages. Uh, Verses 21 through 24, three different ceremonies. Do you see three different ones? First, we have uh, that Mary and Joseph, they did. They got the circumcision and the naming. We have the purification of Mary. Then we have, it's called the redemption of the firstborn. If you go back, Jesus' dedication. So a lot taking place already. Let's continue. Look at verse 25 and 26. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. And had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord Messiah. Look carefully at them verses. I always, when I read about people in the Bible um, that are used by God, especially the ones that are used by God, or even when I see people in my life that are greatly being used to God, I like to examine them. So if you look at the verse, I see four qualities that Simeon 
had. What were the qualities that you see there? Look at that passage. I see that he was devout. I will call this eagerly awaiting. I see he was righteous. I just started with that one. I also see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we see four qualities right away of this man. If you continue to look at the passage, you see at some point that God had spoken to him, spoken to him in some way, revealing to him that he would see Jesus the Messiah before his death. We don't know how that took place. Uh, We don't know when that took place. So we don't know how much time has passed from when God spoke to him to when he actually saw the Messiah. We We don't know. I personally think it was many years, I suspect, many years. And this is I think a picture that we can see for each one of us as each of us await Jesus and the second coming. Are we, like this man, eagerly waiting? It's a great picture there. Are we righteous and devout? Are we full of the Spirit? Does this describe us as we look toward the Lord's return? Because this guy was waiting to see Jesus the Messiah, but you see the qualities that he exhibited as he waited. And I think it's a picture for all of us today as we await the second coming of Christ. It's just a great picture because this guy was really used. Look at verse 27 and 28. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arm and praised God, saying, we'll get to that in a minute. So the first thing after I read these verses, what I see, I don't know what you guys pick out, I see that the Spirit led him. This guy was led by the Spirit. I ask myself, how does this take place? How is a person led by the Spirit? What does it look like? Maybe some of you have been led by the Spirit. What's that look like in your life? Does, does it happen in our lives today that we're led by the Spirit? What do you think? I think it does. I think Many times we're led by the Spirit. Another question as I think about this man being led by the Spirit is, can something come in the way of us being led by the Spirit as we're walking through this world as people? Can something come in the way? There's something in the way. Sin can surely get in the way there. And I think pride, a few other things. But as I read this, I just, I started asking questions, you know, I, am I being led by the Spirit? Is, you know, and then if I'm not, I'm like, wow, when's the last time I really felt that I was prompted by the Spirit? And I had some recent times. Christian shared the story earlier about going and evangelizing to these people. Um, it, Jack called me an hour later, says, I got a heart to reach out to these people. And I said, I got an idea. And then John and I, we went out and we started to figure out how can we reach these people? That was led by the Spirit. And we'll see what happens later. We're not sure yet. But I think if it's led by the Spirit, God will take care of it. As you read these verses, I always, and I say this a lot, can you imagine yourself in the story? Imagine being Mary and Joseph. Imagine being, just imagine being there. Let's start with, okay, especially the women. Imagine yourself being Mary. You're going to your purification ceremony. You're dedicating, it's a baby dedication. Many people have done that here. Right? You're there. So, and what happens? Some guy, they don't know this guy, some guy runs up to you. Imagine that taking place. Grabs the baby, lifts him up, and begins praising God for the Messiah. 
That's what took place. I mean, maybe it wasn't as dramatic, but it surely was kind of different for sure. You imagine that taking place? I like putting myself in the story. What about your dads? Imagine you're at your baby dedication. Some guy comes in, grabs your baby from the mom, starts praising. I just imagine myself in the story. What about uh, this guy here, seeing this Simeon, seeing Jesus' promise revealed? Imagine being him. He had been spoken to God. He had told him he would see the Messiah. He gets prompted to go worship at the temple that day. For us, it's been like you get prompted to go to church, right? He walks into the temple, to, you know, to, if it's, he's going there to pray. Um, obviously, the ceremony is going on, and he sees what he knows, obviously, through the Spirit of God. I mean, how he had to know through the Spirit of God. It's, it's Jesus. It's the Messiah. Imagine the excitement in this man's life as he runs up to Mary, grabs a baby, and praises God and thanks him. I think it's an interesting story if you think of the logistics of it, because it had to have been quite an interesting situation going on at the temple, of all places. This was the temple when this ceremony was going on. Pretty interesting. So what would your reaction be to seeing Jesus, the Messiah? Imagine yourself in the picture. Be fun. Let's read Simeon's response here in 29 through 32. His praise to God. Sovereign Lord... Now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. It's a prayer, but it's really a prayer of praise. And I like to look at prayers like this and kind of examine them and break them up in little pieces and just see them. Um, you know, first beginning, how does it begin? Sovereign God. He begins with addressing God. Then, what's next? He, after he addresses God, he states who he is. Do you see that in verse 29? I think a lot of your uh, versions say bondservant. So sovereign God, your bondservant. Think about when you pray. How do you pray? Do you come before God by first addressing him? Acknowledging who he is. And then secondly, acknowledging who you are in the relationship to God. It's kind of a beautiful way to pray. It's a model prayer that we see throughout in the Lord's Prayer and other ways. So you start with the attributes or the attributes, sorry, of God. So maybe you could define God in, um, how could you define God starting your prayer? Maybe you could say, my Savior. Think of some other ones. Um, maybe you could say, oh, most holy God. Most righteous God. Oh, most faithful God. How do you address God when you begin your prayers? There's lots of different ways. How do you identify yourself when you pray? Um, again, in this one, he says bondservant. In my version, it says servant. What other ways could you define yourself before God? Maybe you could say your child. We're children of God. Um, maybe, Lord, the one that you have rescued from sin about that. Maybe you can use Peter as an example. What did Peter say? The one you love? <laughs> Look again at the prayer after the introduction. What do we see? The praise. He praises God by acknowledging who Jesus is. Salvation. Redeemer. The glory. Into in verse 32. Again, I see a picture for all of us and how to pray as I look at this. As we begin our prayers by thanking God for His Son, Jesus, 
acknowledging who Jesus is, and then what Jesus has done for the world. In verse 29, it does say something interesting, though, right? Let your servant die in peace. It's kind of interesting, part of the prayer. I read a commentary, and I wanted to share it with you, and it doesn't necessarily go why he said this. I mean, I believe he said it because uh, he was older, and he'd been waiting and waiting and saw the... uh, saw Jesus, and now he knew the Messiah was there, and he knew the promise of the Messiah that he held. Um, but this commentary, I just want to share with you. Uh, I think maybe in some of your Bibles it might say depart. You might use the word depart instead of die, or maybe it's the same word. But it says the word depart in the Greek has several meanings. And each of them tells us something about death of a Christian. It means to release a prisoner, to untie a ship and set sail, to down a tent, to unyoke a beast of burden. God's people are not afraid of death because it only frees us from the burdens of this life and leads into the blessings of the next life. This is what this guy was saying when he said this. I'm free to die now. I I have the Messiah. And here's my quote. This is, The heart and mind of a man after meeting Jesus is one without fear of death. And I think right now in today's world, we really, really need to consider that. Because so many people are just so full of fear. But it's fear of death is really what it comes down to. And I, I'm not even talking about the lost. I'm talking about believers, which I, I don't comprehend. Let's look at this continue. Let's see Mary and Joseph's reaction to this whole thing in verse 33. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Their reaction is simple. Simple amazement. You, I imagine all they've been through. I mean, you think about it. I mean, they have been through so, so much. I mean, I listen to a lot of sermons. I mean, from, you know, the virgin birth to the traveling to the mockery to the... I mean, they have been through so, so much. They've had, both have been spoken to through angels and by God, but they've been through so much. I could just imagine this again, was like confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know. I just imagine, just as they hear this in amazement, it would be a relief to them, I would imagine. Because even as they've heard it, they've been told, to see that happen in the temple at the dedication, all they had walked through. And uh, I was listening to a thing, and I heard Christians speak on, uh, preach on it, and I, I listened to an interesting fact that, you know, why did Mary come in the first place? Because we know the story, right? Joseph had to come to pay his taxes or be, or be accounted for, right? The census. What did that have to do with Mary? Mary wouldn't have had to come. There was no reason for Mary to come. Uh, they were married probably at the point, but Jesus, he would have to come to do that, but Mary wouldn't have had to come. There's no, like, if you look back, there's no reason. But you think about the position that Mary was in and what she had been gone through and being from that small village, I'm sure she'd probably welcome to come go hang out with Joseph. I don't think she would have, and you think about that. They have been through so, so much ridicule. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, especially in our culture, imagine in their culture what she has been through. And then just to see this take place as this man at the temple at the dedication comes forth and just confirms what they had been told. Confirmation is amazing in our life. I mean, I know it's happened to me several times, and it's just, it's so wonderful when you do believe something, but you do receive confirmation. Let's look at verses 34 through 35. Then 
Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, interesting why he says it that way, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So he gives this family a blessing or a benediction. It's really kind of what it is, which I say that because I always, like people, I was in Myanmar all the time, they, they'd ask me, will you give a benediction? I'm like, well, I pray. I didn't quite, like, what's the difference between a prayer, benediction? It's a blessing. To speak a blessing upon a person. We don't practice it a lot in kind of today's culture, but it's uh, very biblical, and to speak a blessing, especially like in Myanmar, if someone had a birthday or a wedding, or, you know, you go speak a prayer, a blessing over them. So this benediction was said, and I just, I found that interesting how they have it here. So this truth, though, as you look at it, as I kind of highlighted when I read the verse, is shared directly to who? Mary, right? He only mentions Mary. It's as if somehow he knows that she would be the only one to experience what was to come. And if this was from the Lord, I believe, obviously, that was known. So Mary is warned through here that many will refuse the truth of Jesus, even to the point of persecution. This pain that Mary would endure is much more than I believe I could ever imagine. There's a lot of mothers here, and uh, I think mothers have a very, very special relationship with their sons that even I believe that fathers don't have. We have a different relationship. It's, but I think mothers have a really, really special place, especially with their sons. And the pain that Mary was going to experience to watch Jesus be crucified was described as a sword that will pierce your very soul. And, uh, you know, I don't know what words you could ever use to describe a mother watching their son being crucified, but that's probably pretty close. Um, you know, surely Mary did not understand at the time that this was being spoken to her um, what it really meant or even understand that kind of pain. I don't think anyone could understand that kind of pain. But I'm sure later she could reflect back and remember this prophecy, this spoken over her, and find some, some comfort in that situation knowing that God knew this was going to take place and this was the plan. Um, I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts on it. So all this is taking place, and God is working here, speaking to Mary and Joseph. But there's another person, isn't there, that God's going to use. Let's read about that in verses 36 and 37. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. What verse am I going to go to on that one? 37. Then she lived as a widow from the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So we now read about Anna. She teaches us, I think, many lessons as we see this. I always, again, I mentioned earlier, when I see a person in the Bible that's used by God, I always want to examine the information given to us because I think there's something there that we can always glean from or learn from about who they were because God chose to use them. Now we know, you know, it's the story of Mary. We see Simeon. Now we got Anna. So we learn. She teaches us how do you worship God? How do you praise God? We see her that she did it how? Through fasting and prayer. How did she do it? When did she do it? Day and night. Where did she do it? In the temple. 
Worshiping God was this woman's entire life. That was it. That was her entire life. Um, it says here that she never left the temple. You read a lot of commentaries. Basically, everyone says she that's probably figurative. She probably did, did leave the temple. Um, but basically, it was as if she lived there. Um, I'm not sure. We don't know for sure. Now, I'm not saying all of you should move into the church. I'm not saying that um, this here in this building should be your entire life and you should dedicate your entire life to fasting and prayer. Although there's some people, maybe. What I am saying is that your life, in what it represents, should be worship before God, just as this woman's was. Let's look at verse 38. She came along, just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Her reaction to seeing Jesus was to praise God, to worship him, but then to share or testify with all those around. It's Jesus. I believe because of her life that she lived, of prayer and fasting, that she was blessed. Blessed to witness the Savior revealed in the temple. Salvation had been revealed to her. Very blessed woman. There's so many different lessons that we can take from today's passages. I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to each of you a specific application that you can apply to yourself personally. So as you look at all the passages, think about which lesson in there, or you know, just pray the Holy Spirit would just speak something that you could take with you. Um, you know, maybe you could say to, to be better equipped or that you could live a life that glorifies God. Um, or, are, you know, as you look at here, she's sharing the gospel. There's so many different things. But as I studied them, I, I just share with you the things that were put on my heart, the applications that were put on my heart. If you look back, look at first at verse 27. It says, The Spirit led him into the temple. So he was led or moved by the Spirit to go to the temple. And when he arrived at the temple, that's when he met Jesus. And saw Jesus. And so I kind of talked about it a lot before, but I really have to ask myself today, am I living a life that I'm open to be, hear from the Spirit and to be moved by the Spirit? That's one of the lessons that really the Lord spoke to me on this. Because, you know, sometimes I, I get so busy and so wrapped up with everything going on. And I just, sometimes I really need to just take some time and be quiet and spend some time in the Word. Spend some time in prayer. And just put aside all the things of the world and try to hear, see if the Lord has something to speak to me. Or maybe there's some sin in my life that can really get in the way. We need to examine ourselves and repent of that and say if there's some sin. In verse 25, we also see that he was righteous, devout, watchful, and full of the Spirit. And this is the person that God used here and spoke to. So I think that for me, each day, I need to examine myself. And just pray. Pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that I would also have these qualities in my life as a follower of Jesus. And that I also could be led by the Spirit. I also, again, I, pray, I have to just pray for this because, you know, I, I, I don't know. I want to pray that there's nothing in my life that would prevent me from being led or hearing from the Holy Spirit. The second lesson or application is my life dedicated to serving God. 
we read how Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, they were all faithful servants to God, and they were all used by God. I see qualities, again, in each of these people that they're, it resulted in God using these people. So they were all faithful, and they all had very, these were all very different people, had very different lives. But God used each of them, and they were all faithful. So my prayer is just to be steadfast in faith, to be led by the Spirit, to be used by God, just as these people we saw here today. As we close, I want to give you a quote. Because in this uh, prayer here it says, verse 32, it says, He is the light to reveal God to the nations. And I had a question this week. Someone asked, what does it mean that Jesus is the light? And they were trying to ask him questions through uh, John 1, uh, 1 through 5, I believe. You know, what does that mean? Is that like a physical light? I mean, was he the light in Genesis? And um, I was studying that and responding to that. And here in this passage, it says he is the light to reveal God to the nations. And as much as I'd like to explain that, I just want to share a quote from my study Bible. It says, Jesus is the light. Simeon referred referred to Jesus as the light for revelation. Few metaphors capture Jesus' mission as well. Light makes the stillness come alive. Light settles fear. Light reveals mystery. Light enables relationships. Jesus is God in the flesh, eternal light. Breaking into a spiritually dark world. Jesus is your light. He is not a distant sun, remote and driven by physics, laws. Jesus is the light of your life, your courage, your enabler. Start each day by turning on the light. A moment of meditation on God's word, a prayer of dedication to live for God all day. You know, as I read that, it's kind of, it said start each day by turning on the light. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I usually wake up, and most of the time anymore, and it's dark. And so I'll go and I'll uh, turn on the bathroom light. Because if I, tr- I have a bathroom in our bedroom. If I turn on the main light in my room, it's going to be problems because Vicky's going to be blind and waking up. So I go and I turn on the light. So I turn on the light so I can see and start my day and go uh, do the things that I need to do. And uh, it's just how I start my day. It's kind of funny. But also, it says here that Jesus is the light of our life. And do we start that with Jesus being the light of our day? Um, do we spend time with him in the morning? So, how are each of us going to be used by God this week? How are you going to be used? Lots of stories here. These people were used in amazing ways we saw in the passages. But the Savior was revealed I think if we want to be used by God, if we want to be led by the Spirit, if we want to hear from the Spirit, it really, really begins with spending time with Jesus and his saints. So we do that by each day, getting up and reading our Bible and praying. We do that by attending Bible studies. There's some great Bible studies around here I've been attending. And then we also spend time on Sundays in church. And we will hear from him. I want to go back to what I quoted earlier. The heart and mind of a man after meeting Jesus is one without fear of death. That's the life we should live out there. And as we go out there and share the gospel and the hope of Jesus, if we have found Jesus, we don't need to have fear. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, I just pray as we had internet problems, I just pray that got resolved. Those that would uh, need to hear this message would hear the message, Lord. 
they would hear that the Savior is revealed, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And Lord, through him, Lord, we no longer have to fear. We no longer even have to fear death itself, Lord, because you've given us eternal life with you in heaven. So I say that message, Lord, I just, I think it's so important for everyone out there just to remember that, because we're walking around in fear. So Lord, I pray for your continued protection over this body and this fellowship. Lord, as we continue to worship you, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would just be protected, but we would not be afraid to go out and share, share the hope that we do have in Jesus, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for revealing to each one of us your Son, Jesus Christ, as I know that's done through your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would lead each one of us this week, Lord, in whichever uh, way you would lead us. Lord, I know each one of us have different anointings. Each one of us has different gifts. Each one of us has different callings, but all for the glory of God and all to share the love of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I just pray each one of us, Lord, would just come before you this week and hear from you, Lord, and just be encouraged, Lord, as I'm sure Mary was encouraged as she heard this message even. So, Lord, I pray and thank you so much, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.